Hello, everybody. Welcome to a special episode of the Diecast Movie Reviews. Um, today, we're going to be doing an interview. I'm going to be interviewing Reber Clark, who is a composer, director, editor of um, various short films, feature-length films, and um, different scores on his own. How are you doing today, Reber? I'm doing just fine. How are you, Steve? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. And um, thank you for rescheduling. Good with me because I last sure. week when we were going to do it, I wasn't feeling well. I still have a little bit of a chest cough going on. So um, dear listeners, yeah. please bear with us. If I start coughing. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. So Reber, um, what got you started into the world of wanting to be a composer when you were young? I think it was movies. Uh, my mom really liked movie soundtracks. So she was always playing them at home and, I uh, would go to the theater and see, uh, you know, we had a neighborhood theater. I'd go there and pay 25 cents or whatever, and I'd see, you know, some movie with Ray Harryhausen animation and, uh, you know, Bernard Herrmann scoring, and I think that just got into me, and I really, once I hit college, I kind of decided that's what I wanted to do, but it was uh, Arkansas, and there were no film schools at that time, and uh, there was really no outlet to do it, so I got into... uh, bands, like school bands, because those were ensembles were available. But movies came late, actually getting into them. So. Well, that's pretty cool. I don't so, know if that answered your question. <laughs> well, no, but what instruments did you play in the school band? Uh, trumpet. I'm a trumpet, trumpet player. I haven't played in a long time, but uh, yeah, I've played trumpet for many years. Um, after I got out of school, I played in theater orchestras and uh, went on the road with an old rock and soul group called Sam and Dave. Played trumpet for them for a while. Uh, they they were famous for doing Hold On, I'm Coming and I'm a Soul Man and all that kind of stuff. So that was fun to do. But I kind of got the road out of my system and decided, well, I'm going to write. And so that's what I've been doing. Oh, that's cool. You know, because everybody always has, some people have that, uh, you can see some bands where People have been performing for decades and decades, uh, like the Rolling right. Stones, and they still seem to go out every time they, you know, they can. Whether I don't know whether it's for money, I doubt that for some of them, but it's, it, I guess they get that um, uh, wonderlust where it's just time to go. I, I don't know something about live music. I guess uh, people want to hear it, um, which is great. Uh, Sam and Dave actually broke up, and they had their own, their two. Uh, separate bands touring with Sam and Dave, and I was with uh, Dave's band called the New Sam and Dave Review. So, but I didn't want to live on the road. Uh, the keyboard player had his keyboards and the money in his pocket, and that was it, and he was just stuck on the road. He didn't have a home base, and I didn't want to end up doing that. So, you know, I wanted a house and wife and kids and all that. So got off and started uh, off the road and started uh, just doing my own thing. Cool. Cool. That's pretty nice. Cause mm-hmm. otherwise we wouldn't have you doing the stuff that you're doing now. Right. Probably wouldn't have uh, done this or I might've done this earlier. Yeah. I don't know. I, there's no telling. I've tried to figure it out. I don't know. <laughs> so I just don't worry about it. I uh, taught school for a while uh, as a band director and then sold some music to some publishing companies and decided that I'd rather make less money and do that. So that's what I've been doing for a long time. Which is good because I'm, I look at it as if you're doing something that you really enjoy, you know, and, and you're able right. to make enough money to pay for the necessities, then obviously you're... Well, my wife, 
Well, yeah, my, if it wasn't for my, for my wife, I probably wouldn't have uh, been able to pay for much. So in the beginning especially, she was absolutely a key supporter. Well, that's good. You know, cause it's nice when you have oh, yeah, the partnership. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really, really has been. Mm-hmm. So it seems it seems you married the, the correct person, <laughs> or she married yeah. you. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know who snagged who. She probably snagged me. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I chased her till she caught me. Or what is it? I don't know. Anyway, um, yeah, you were yeah. meant to be together. <laughs> well, yes, I think so. The uh, Music takes up a lot of time, and it takes a special person to put up with that. There were some girlfriends that just didn't understand that, and uh, I needed somebody who <clears throat> who could put up with it. So I guess that's basically it. <laughs> she can put up with it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, I said earlier you were a composer and director, and I looked up your yeah. IMDb. You did a couple of shorts where you were a director and composer, I didn't know if you wanted yeah. to talk about any any of those. I'm not really a, a director. I don't consider myself that. Um, nobody was hiring me to do movies, so I decided I'd make my own. And I made Lovecraft paragraphs, which is my favorite, some of my favorite paragraphs from H.P. Lovecraft material. And then I scored it, and then I submitted it to the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival in Portland, Oregon. They accepted it. And my goal was to get the music out there so that other filmmakers might say, oh, I like that. I'll call this guy, and uh, it worked, and so that's that's what that one film is. It was just a way to break, kind of break into doing movies. And the other one was an experiment in logistics. I never rented equipment, or we had to rent a limousine for one scene and rent some lights, and and so it was an ex- experiment in organization and logistics. Uh, in case I was going to do another one, which I've been working on for a long time, uh, called Green Comet, but I can't really tell you anything about it. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I'm not really a director, more of a music guy, I guess. Well, yeah, but it's still, you did, you, I mean, you did make a film, or two films, and there's a lot of people that yeah. always say they're going to make a film and never do it. So, I mean, that puts oh, man. You one up on um, a lot of people. But the that, name of the second film big, is... yeah. What, Durloff's, Durloff's Brain? Yeah, Durloff's, Durloff's Brain. It concerns August Durloff, who was an editor in Fox City, Wisconsin, uh, who, uh, if it wasn't for him publishing, uh, he founded a publishing company called Arkham House. And if it wasn't for him publishing H.P. Lovecraft's material, because nobody else seemed to be interested in it, we probably wouldn't have heard of Lovecraft uh, today. So... But Derlis was a funny guy. He changed some things, and then after Lovecraft died, he issued some, quote, posthumous collaborations, <laughs> uh, unquote, of Lovecraft stuff. And this movie, Derlis' Brain, is a, uh, a, a silly exploration of why he changed this little graphic that Lovecraft came up with called The Elder Son. Uh, and that's, that's all it is. <laughs> And speaking of that, since you brought up about Lovecraft, what draws you to Lovecraft's stories? Wow. I, w- I guess I was probably in junior high or early high school, and I stumbled onto these uh, paperbacks published by Valentine, H.P. Uh, uh, Lovecraft stories, and the covers were just amazing. Uh, 
and really attractive to a kid of that age. It's just like, oh, wow, this is really awful and gross. And I love it. <laughs> One was a guy's head split open with red bats flying out of it. And uh, I, of course, I had to buy that. And then I started reading and stuff, and I got hooked. And I've been hooked ever since. And once I found out there was a film festival, and then the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society, um, I had found my people. Because <laughs> nobody, where I was growing up, nobody nobody knew who Lovecraft was, or, you know, any of that stuff. So it was nice to find a, a group of people who, who knew what I was talking about. <laughs> exactly. That's one of the great things about the Internet now is that there's times when certain people had certain interests, but didn't know anybody else or couldn't get hold of anybody else. And now those people can get together in these different communities and actually like, wow, you like this too. It's, it's great. Yeah. Like, uh, at monster bash, um, you know, if I didn't know Derek Koch or cook, I don't have to say his last name. K-O-C-H. And, uh, Joshua Kennedy. Um, I probably wouldn't have heard of monster bash and I knew them through, they used to be left by film festival, which, you know, that was all by, through internet. And most of my work with these guys has been, you know, over the internet. And so the internet for me changed everything. It's, it's been really great. Exactly. I mean, a lot of people sometimes bring up the negatives, but there's so many positives of um, the, the connectivity that everybody's getting. If you manage it right, it can be completely positive. Yeah. Exactly. Well, That's it's, the problem is, is information management is a big deal. <laughs> learning how to cut out the, the crud and hold on to the good stuff, you know? Oh, I agree wholeheartedly, you know, and it's just, it, it's another yeah. tool. If, if used properly, it can be a great tool. If used improperly, it can exactly. be a hurtful tool. But, you know, it's... it's Absolutely. It's, I totally agree with you there. Now, so trying to get into the mind of thinking of a, as a composer, because mm-hmm. when we're, when I'm watching a film, you know, of course, you know, you have the dialogue, you have the music, you have... Sometimes the absence of dialogue because you have um, an action scene or, or maybe there's a dramatic scene going on or it could be there's no actors or in there at all and it's just um, the mood setting at the beginning of the film or during those um, um, scenes between the use of action. When you're composing a film, let's say like The House of the Gorgon, you know, because that was your m- most recent feature-length film right. that's out. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're looking at a scene, what are you looking for as a composer to try to get to us, the viewer, um, that that a different emotion or whatever it's that scene is calling for? How are you how are you going about that? Yeah, um, first of all, I like to get most of the movie ahead of time with all the sound effects and dialogue laid in, so I can watch it like a, a fan, like an audience member. So I don't even try to think in music; just kind of watch it and enjoy it and see where the peaks and valleys are, not really making notations, just kind of, kind of see what they're going for. Um, let's see. Uh, it, it depends on the kind of scene. If it's the title of the movie, it's one thing, but if it's an emotional scene, that's hard to get across on just film sometimes. So I try to play in the music, what we can't see, you know, the undercurrents of emotion and the, uh, you know, the different drives and yearnings and, and, and tensions and releases that are going on in the scene that we can't really see visually. So that's kind of what I go for. If it's a chase scene or something, those are usually 
pretty laid out. It's one thing, then another, and then you go back to the original thing, and then you go back to the next thing, and just kind of flips back and forth, and it's kind of a, uh, it's a musical form called rondo. So if you're familiar with uh, po- poetic notation, it's like ABA, a rondo would be A-B-A-C-A-D-A. Those are different themes that go back and forth. So there's a way to handle that musically to keep it interesting, but keep it formally, keep it intact as a form. I don't know if that's too obscure. <laughs> that information might be too too complicated. I don't know. Well, it depends on who's Is listening. Is that what you were asking about? Stuff yeah. like that? Yeah, things like that. So when you're looking at it, obviously for some people, you'll be talking the same things that um, – it goes beyond them, and other people are going to be talking right with them. But the beauty of it is, I think when you challenge people and they're like, well, what is that? And you give them a little bit of a basic, they can look it up and then find more information. Because like we said, it's a lot of this stuff is available on anybody's phone or computer now. And I, I, sure. I, and I remember when reading, if there was a word I didn't know, you got you know you, the old school, you got the dictionary, you looked it up, what is this word? Yeah. Absolutely. I still do that, but I'm, I'm usually reading on a Kindle now. I've got, I love regular books, but Kindle's so portable. It's so great to just long press on a word that you don't get and get the definition. I love that. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. Technology is, 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 has changed so many things, and just yours in my lifetime, it's been a dramatic difference from when we were growing up the way things are now. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's great. I love it. So, um, the other thing I wanted to go back to when we talked about Lovecraft, what are some of your favorite th- Lovecraftian films that you watched or, or seen? The films? Yes. There's not a lot of favorite films because he's hard to do uh, on film because the stuff is so cosmic and kind of hinted at being described. So once it's actually described, like once you see the monster, <laughs> you know, it kind of takes the punch out of the thing. Um, I like the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society's movie, The Call of Cthulhu, Mm -hmm. because they did it as a silent film in the style of a 1930s film. That was when Lovecraft was writing. And I thought it was really effective and true to the story. They did another one called The Whisperer in Darkness, which was also uh, done. It was, I think it was a silent film. Yeah, I believe it was. No, I've just seen that one. It, It wasn't a silent film. I think I saw that monster bash, but yeah, but if they did it in the yeah. um, style of the era that it would have come out, right. so it's like, it's, so they used a lot of old school effects and things like that, but it, it was very good. Yeah. Old school effects and old school camera angles and, and clothing. And, and they did a real good job. I thought of getting the story across. They put an airplane chase in there at the, near the end that uh, wasn't in the story, but it still made it exciting. So I, I went with it. Uh, everybody knows Herbert West reanimator with Jeffrey Combs and that's fun, but it's really not anything to do with Lovecraft story. Um, I mean, it is a little bit, but, oh, there's a really good one uh, directed by Dan O'Bannon who wrote alien called the resurrected. And I believe in England it's called Shatterbrain, And it's the, it's the case of Charles Dexter Ward, which is a, a famous Lovecraft story. Uh, and that's a good one. But so far as I know, oh, the new one by Richard Stanley, who is a director living in France, but I believe he's from South Africa. But he's living on a mountain in France. Um, it's called Color Out of Space, which is based on Lovecraft's The Color Out of Space. 
uh, and starring Nicolas Cage and Jolie Richardson, I think he did a great job with that. So I like that one. I believe it's produced by Elijah Wood's company, Spectre Vision. Oh, good. I haven't seen that one yet. And um, I know... Yes, it's new. It's going to be released in theaters in January, I think. Oh, okay. So, I mean, I've seen... I've it's seen, been playing I, festival. I've heard the name, but I haven't seen it. So that's why I was just... I didn't know what, I didn't know what it was. Yeah, I, thought they, I thought they did a real good job in translating the story and also kind of making it a little more modern so people could identify with it. And they reined in Nicolas Cage a little bit. I heard there's some really wild scenes that were cut, <laughs> but I haven't seen those. But, uh, yeah, that actually did a, they did a good job. I liked it a lot. A lot of times in Lovecraft movies, good or bad, they ignore the cosmic perspective that he really tried to get across and that's when they fail and in Colorado State Richard really 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 uh, dwelt on the cosmic perspective quite a bit and it works and uh, it would just blew me away especially the ending or the finale it was just the cosmic um, perspective and the vastness that that Lovecraft and the beauty uh, in fact of some Lovecraft stuff uh, really gets lost in all the local horror and blood and guts type stuff that people think Lovecraft is about, but he really isn't. I think a lot of times our own imaginations, and I've said this before with other um, reviews, uh, is, mm-hmm. is the best thing. And once they show it, then you're, and especially if you've read <laughs> the material, you already have in your mind right. something what it's going to be. And then when you go and see it on the screen, if it doesn't match up pretty close, you're already like, uh, that's not what I was picturing. And, Right. And it takes you out of and the I movie. And I think um, CGI, even though it might look slicker, it even takes you out of the movie more than practical effects. Because if it's practical effects, there's something about it that gives it an unreality, especially like stop motion, gives it an, a, a dreamlike quality that you just don't get in CGI. And I think those practical effects things really work in a situation like this more than uh, the CGI stuff. Although I like CGI when it's done well. Oh yes, I, I agree with you there. When it's the, it's a matter of them taking the time and giving the the the, the, um, the computer programmers or gra- graphic designers the time to do it right. Yeah. Sometimes they don't have the budget and it's a rush job. And it... yeah, I think of uh, Stuart Gordon's Dagon, which is a I think it's a pretty good movie. But they put this scene where they're torturing this guy Zadok Allen. That's not in the story. And then they. Later in the story, the, one of the uh, characters reveals that she has tentacles, and the tentacle CGI is just crappy. And I always thought it, the money would have been better spent. Don't do the torture scene. Spend it on the CGI tentacles <laughs> because uh, it would have been would have been better. But I'm not the director, and Stuart, Stuart Gordon's been doing it a long time, so um, nothing against Stuart Gordon. And sometimes the director's told this is what it's going to look like, and then you know it, it's in post, and then they're like, oh. yeah, and then and now it's too late yeah, to go back you're and stuck with it. it. Yeah, right. You spent the money, and you got to use it. So I get that. Yes, yeah, so I don't. I don't always want to blame the director. I mean, it's just you know you, you're you're sold one thing, and uh, something. Sometimes you get something totally different, like with the giant claw. The actors were all told one thing, and then when they saw the movie, they got to see something totally different. Right, yeah, and there's all kinds of people pushing and pulling on our project, you know. There's the producer and, you know, other money people, and then there's the director, and, you know, there's just all kinds of stuff. So 
it's a wonder anything gets made, <laughs> but, but it, they seem to get made. That is true. I mean, you know, you never know how these things are going to happen. And, um, right. But it makes, it makes it nice. It makes it nice. Um, sometimes you get happy accidents or something comes out of it and it looks really good. And other times you get accidents that are not happy. Right. Yeah. Too many cooks sometimes spoil the, spoil the broth. I think having one guy in charge, whether for good or ill, I think it's better to have kind of a final authority instead of making a movie by committee. I think, um, yeah, unless the, unless I think the, that's the way to go. Yeah, unless the cooks are matching up with the same vision, which is, it, it does happen. I mean, you have a lot of, yeah. you have a lot of um, the Cohen brothers, the Russo brothers. You, know, yeah, you, yeah. Have, you have some people that have that same vision and they know their strengths and weaknesses and they work very well together. They mesh so well. And then right. other times, you, you you know, you don't get those things. So, yeah, it, it can work. Yeah, I if agree. They, especially if they communicate well. Yeah. Now, one of the things I wanted to have to uh, try to do with you before we get to some of your favorite scores uh-huh. is sometimes music, I think, carries a theme through the movie, and they do it in different ways to um, – right. sometimes it's more hidden – and I don't know if you've ever seen the movie House from 1970. House from 1977. It's a Japanese movie. I don't think so. And it's called House? Yes. Nope. I haven't seen it. Okay. So this is this is going to be good because this would be totally fresh to you. Okay. So, so what I want to do is play a little bit of the theme. And then there's two other tracks I'm going to play. And then I'm, I'm going to, if you could try to walk us through as a composer what the... Um, the gentlemen were trying to do and it, and the, and the composers were, this is their names are in Japanese. So please forgive me for butchering them. I know I'm, I know I will. No, that's okay. I will too. Um, without seeing the movie with the music, I'm not sure what, I'm not sure if I can tell you what he's trying to do, but go ahead and play it and let's see what happens. Okay. But um, the composers are Asi Kubiashi and Mickey. Thank God it's Mickey. Yeah. Yoshino. Right. This okay. is the main theme. And to give you an idea what the movie is about, it is a, um, a horror film. It's a ghost story. And what it is is these um, seven girls on their school break decide to go to one of the girls' aunt's house in the country. Okay. And she ends up in, uh, being um, a ghost, as you find oh, out okay. during the film. And the house is basically feeds on people. Okay. So I, I you know, it, 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 it is a crazy good movie. Yep. But it, it, it's something totally different. Derek um, Cook and myself did a review of it in Monster Kid Radio's podcast. So if you want to go back mm-hmm. and do a thing, you can hear us talk about it. But this is the main theme. Great. I'll check it out.
All right, that gives you a taste of it. The main theme goes on for about three minutes. So yeah, uh, but I will tell you, I wrote some notes down. You want me to hear my notes? Oh sure. At first, I thought time because of the kick, kick. He's going for the idea of time and kind of a childhood sing-song theme. Might be a local, might be a Japanese folk tune, and if it is, I want to know the meaning. But then later, then after they do this little kind of a toy, the toy instrument or whatever it is in the beginning, they might be playing a folk tune. It's a different, I think it goes to a different theme with a very Western influence. Uh, it's definitely not Japanese harmony. Uh, it's Western, like uh, Western Hemisphere. And I thought of Innocence. Uh, and the cadences were very Western, playful, uh, and it's saying, we're just playing. So those are the, you know, we're just playing. So that's a good contrast to what ultimately happens, as I understand it, when they get to the house and it turns out it's not all play. <laughs> well, exactly. At this point, that, at this point, they're at school yeah. and um, they're introducing the characters right. and those kind of stuff, all the girls. And the right. director... Um, when it gave everybody English names and like, so one of the girls was called fantasy. Another girl was called melody. Um, and also, oh, that's interesting. and he purposely had the movie called house because he wanted, it was more mm -hmm. taboo. He wanted it to have an English name. This was his film debut. He did done commercials prior to that. And this is a Toho movie. Okay. And what Toho saw was... That's the Godzilla company, right? Correct. This is the Godzilla... Yeah. <laughs> Same company that brought you Godzilla and Rodan and Mothra, brought you House. And... Uh, huh. It's, it's... But it was Jaws was a couple years prior to this. And their theory was, in their minds, that was Steven Spielberg's first film. So they wanted to get a, get a director his first film and let him go for it creati creatively and then see if they can get a hit like Jaws. Interesting. Even though we know actually Steven Spielberg had done Duel prior, but that was a TV movie and the Japanese things for TV were different than things right. they were in the movies. I'm just saying oh, that so we don't get people saying, that's not Steven Spielberg's now, first film. <laughs> was this released in Japan first? Yes, it was. It didn't get released in the United States until 20 some odd years later. I wonder if he's making a cultural statement too, uh, because I, I don't know. Um, I know, I think I know Japanese religion or religions are different, uh, to the Western point of view with us in regard to ancestors and death and ghosts. And I'm wondering if he's couching it in kind of Western terms to take a Japanese audience to a place they might not be comfortable with or that they, they're hooked by and want to explore is what, I, what I'm thinking. And I, I don't know. I think you're onto something because at that time, Japan, like a lot of places, TV was taking off or it was really big and movie companies are always fighting against TV and the revenue in the movies was going down. So he, right. that's why they wanted him to um, unleash something that was different and it actually brought in the, the, the teenage young adult audience that they were looking for. Mm. So it actually did. And what he did is he talked to his daughter about 
what what are things that scared her? Because she was at that age group. So she would talk mm-hmm. about some of her dreams and things that scared her, and he put those down, and a lot of those ended up in the film. Interesting. That's a good way to do it, kind of his own focus group. Yeah, and he didn't have to pay <laughs> Running anybody. Running ideas by. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, so um, it, it was, an, like I said, it was, it, he's a very interesting person. Um, I've, he, I got the Criterion version of House, and it has an interview with him in there. And, of course, he's speaking in Japanese, so you're getting the translation. And um, it was a lot of his um, ideas and things like that were, were pretty cool. Now, this next one is called A Letter in the Past, and it's when the girls, if I remember correctly, they find a, um, um, a photo book, and they're looking back at the, their, their aunts back when she was getting married, and, what ha- and it, basically it's about how her husband goes off to the war, World War II, and gets shot right. down, and, and of course she's still waiting for him to return. And that's and the aunt is actually is dead at this point. When they go to the aunt's house, is she still alive? Well, they they, they think yeah, she looks like she's alive, but in actuality, she's like a spirit of the house. But nobody knows gotcha. that. Okay, until right. gotcha. yeah, yeah. For, for people who haven't seen House, we spoiled House, but I mean, it, it came out in nineteen seventy seven. <laughs> All right, so th- this see what you think about this. Okay, so what did you think about that, Reber? Well, it's the same theme um, of, of, of one either the first tune we heard in the title or the second tune we heard in the title. And those may be the same theme. I'd have to listen to it again. But uh, it's real anthem-like. And it made me think of uh, a tune by Edward Elgar called um, They Played at Graduations. Um, Pomp and circumstance is what it reminded me of. Oh, really? Uh, so, I, yeah, I thought graduation or commencement or a procession of some kind. So that, that's what uh, came across to me. It was very March-like and, you know, we're all graduating or we're all going to the next level or who knows, uh, something like that. You know, bum, bum, bum is a real somber walking pace, but it's still in one direction and, and you know. It's probably like they are 
learning or they have have learned something or and they're graduating to the next level or something i don't know well in the scene in the scene they're seeing the aunt get married at the beginning of it Uh so yes Uh so it fits with a wedding ceremony like they're all gathering for her ceremony and and um and they're Uh looking back at see when they're looking in the photo book they actually then show video uh, or or not a video but they're showing the they're showing what actually happened in an old timey like looking film type scenario but the girls are actually there too it's kind of interesting how they they, you know intertwine the two things oh they're in the past as well they show up in the past scene yes oh yeah that's interesting that's really interesting it's like are they are we thinking they're putting themselves well it could be they're putting themselves in we could be inside their own mind when we're seeing this, or we could be seeing uh, reincarnations, which is a little more literal or something, but probably not. I think it's probably more like we're on, we're in their own head and they're putting themselves in the situation as they look at the picture. I would, I would go with that. Yeah. And it's like I said, and one of the girl's names is fantasy after all. So you never, you never know how like, is this really happening? Not happening? Is this all a dream? It's, it's a very interesting film, but, that's what I liked about The Witch. You know the movie The yes. Witch, the new one? Yes. I, I Near the end, I wasn't sure if we were in the girl's mind or if things were happening in an external fashion. So, yeah, that's that's interesting. I, I like that idea that uh, the audience may be in the character's head instead of these things actually happening. Or the debate is, well, what does it mean to have something actually happen? Is it the same in the mind as it is out in the world? And you know, big question. So, pretty interesting. Oh, exactly. And uh, when I first watched this film, I was almost like, "What did I just see?" Because it's it's, it's a <laughs> lot of it's a lot of video segments. Like, because I said the guy had done commercials before, so right there's a lot of little spots. They don't. It's it. They do tie together loosely, you know, through the whole thing. Yeah. And but mm-hmm. the score. Especially this next one, which is the last one I'm going to share with you from House. Um, when I heard it, it just stayed with me. And when I would, hmm. I, I would literally, like, it would be like for days. All I kept thinking about was this next one. And it's, uh, for me, it was, it, it was it, you know, obviously it touched something um, dear to me. Okay. So this one's in the evening past. And to set it up, Melody is playing on the piano. That's in the house, and she's using and she's looking at the uh, songbook or the score or uh, the book that's there, and she's following and she's playing the tune for the first time. Okay.
And they gave you about a minute where it goes on for another 90 seconds. But I think well, it it's the same theme again. And it's just like the kids in the piano figuring out how to play it. That, that tune. Yeah. So like the tune got in her head and now she's bringing it out into, into reality or something. And I look at it also is that as the movie progresses with these, this theme, it seems to get more uh-huh. and more stripped away with other instruments to eventually at the end, that last one there, it's, it's the bare one person, one piano yeah. um, type thing. I wonder what that means. Let's say we're going from something, hmm, if things get simpler and simpler, it could be things get clearer and clearer. could be that we're headed toward that uh, realization that the, the ant is a ghost, you know, because we're getting more focused by losing all the orchestration. I don't know. That, that would make sense to me. Uh, they give you an idea. Boiling it down to the basic thing, yeah. The melody plays this just before she gets eaten by the piano. And I did say that right, you yeah. know, just to give you an idea. That, that, like I said, this movie is crazy in a good way. <laughs> yeah, well, those are my favorite kinds. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to find this one and watch it. But you can see what I mean about that. That theme. I mean, when you watch this movie, that theme is just going to be in your head. It's me in a good way. Yeah. And it, it's one of the yeah. enjoyable parts. And the, and the two guys who composed this were. Um, I think rockers or pop artists at the time. Uh-huh. So, it, you know, so they, they weren't like, they weren't the normal, the, I mean, he totally went different than anything that Toho would normally had done at this time frame. He yeah. Was, yeah. Huh. Well, it's always good to stretch, you know, try new stuff. That's oh. good. <laughs> oh, it is. And, 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 and there's other things in there that are totally different than those that have, that really don't apply to the theme. There's there's one song in there. I don't have it queued up, but it's almost like a Scooby Doo song. You know, like where like where, where oh, wow. like, like you would hear in a chase thing. But it's set up at the beginning and it's it's happy. Everything in the beginning is happy and all this stuff. And then you can see little signs that things are not as they're going to uh, not as they seem. And then, right. the, and then the movie keeps getting darker and darker as it goes along, and the music kind of follows okay. suit. In my mind, if you. Um, if you ever get a chance to get the whole soundtrack. Yeah, I'll take a look at it. All right. So that was my, I mean, I know we spent a lot of time there on one of my favorite films, but I, was, I think I was trying to get across to the, for people to listen. I hope they enjoyed that part where hearing you look at it, like I said, I know it's, like I said earlier, it's like it's the same theme going through the three of them, but how it can be done differently and incorporated in films. And I think it just, for me, adds so much to it when you get a, a composer that can keep that theme and do it well for different... Yeah, I really like the idea of having a theme. I like melodies. Um, I mean, atmosphere is okay, but if you, you, you know, there's something about a melody that, that you can play with. You can play it backwards, you can play it upside down, you can play it, you can do all the slow, fast, and uh, that's one of the main writing ideas I guess sometimes in a movie is a theme with variations. So you've got like in a chase theme you have the rondo form where you go back and forth from one theme to another, then back to the original theme, then another new theme. And in theme and variations you have a single single melody and then throughout the movie it changes character and uh, is kinda of hidden in the background and you know, sometimes you really have to search for it. But it kind of helps the entire 
musical part of the movie hold together in kind of a complete way. And that always makes the artwork tighter, makes the artwork, uh, <clears throat> I don't know, more integrated or something. Oh, I agree. So, yeah, I like the idea of using melodies, yeah. And listeners, if you were to get an idea of how much a film can be affected by score or whatever, find a film, one of your films that has a spot where there's really no dialogue or whatever going on and, it, and the music's filled mm-hmm. in, and then mute your TV, right. watch it, and then unmute it, and you, and then you can tell if the music is making a positive difference. And almost always it makes a positive. I mean, there are some composers that don't. but right. That's an exercise for film composers, too, where you get a scene and it has no music. And then you have three or four different composers write three or four different things or record three or four different things. And uh, it's interesting to see everybody's take on what's going on. And sometimes if it's just two people sitting in a coffee house or something, you know, somebody will come up with something that's really sinister and other people will come up with a love idea. And, it, yeah, it's really interesting how that unseen uh, factor, that's what music really does well. Instead of playing the action, you know, instead of Mickey Mousing what's going on on the screen. Exactly. And I, and, and there are composers that do that. I mean, it, it's... They're... Oh, yeah, and it's a valid technique. Um, sure, absolutely, but not all the time. <laughs> I, think, I think the ones that end up making the collective consciousness are the ones that take it to a different... are innovative or, take, or, or go different than you're expecting, and it works. Yeah, I think that's part of being a fan as well as uh, working on the thing, you know, being able to look at it as an audience member and not some kind of technical exercise. That's what I like to do. I like to, to watch it when it comes in, comes to me, and then just kind of walk it around for a week or so and just think, oh, yeah, you know, kind of enjoy it. And that's, that's a good way to, uh, to go at it, I think, because you get to the real heart of what's going on and, and, and you're still an audience member at that point and not a not a contributor. And speaking of being a fan, I asked um, Reber to send me some different scores that he, are his favorites. We're not saying like these are his only favorites. I mean, it was, it, I think he had a tough task trying to pick a select amount. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it is tough. It's like when people say, what's your favorite movie? And people are like, uh, it really, okay. Yeah, there's a million. There's, it's hard. So I just went with what came to me off the top of my head. There, I've got a million favorites, all different kinds. And a couple of your favorites match up with a couple of my favorites. Oh, good. So I was like looking. I was like, oh, I thought I was the only one who liked that, you know, and and knew about <laughs> that one. And I was brought a smile to my face when I was when I was queuing it up. I was like, oh, I like that. So. Oh, great. Which one do you want to talk about and we could share with the uh, listeners first? Wow. Um, <clears throat> well, it depends if you want to go just horror movies, monster movies, or if you want to go with uh, just in general what I like or, or what kind of subject matter you're kind of looking for. Well, let's do this. Um, let's share one yeah. of yours. Let's share a little bit of the House of the Gorgon. Okay. In that way. And then, but our, our film, um, as for what type of genre, it's always decided by the roll of a die. So we just, we, we, we cover everything. So okay. it doesn't really matter on the genre part, but um, I believe you sent me the House of the Goring. This is the main theme? Yeah, I think it was the main theme. Yeah, the title. All right. 
So we'll go through that, and we'll play a little bit of that, and you can talk us through it a little bit, because obviously, you know, it's it's your work, so you should know it pretty well. <laughs> yeah, oh, man, I've heard it a million times. So you want me to talk after or during? Um, what we'll do is I'll, I'll start it. We'll give it about maybe like 20, 30 seconds, and I'll lower the volume down a little bit, and you can talk um, oh, okay. over it if you want. Yeah, good it's, idea. It's your work, so the good part is is I'm copyright secure. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you have my permission. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, otherwise you'd be saying, "What are you doing right now?" It's like, you know. <laughs> well, plus it's it's an editorial excerpt, and since this is a podcast, I think those are all fair use. Yes, because we're doing reviews. Yeah. Okay, Reaver, if you want to talk us through. Uh, those first seven or eight bars that you just played were kind of an intro added on because we need some extra time for the credits before the main theme came in. So right after that is where the House of the Gorgon main theme actually starts. <clears throat> so uh, that intro was kind of an afterthought. But uh, the, and the main theme is what uses the words House of the Gorgon was trying to uh, emulate James Bernard, who scored a lot of Hammer films. And one of his famous ones is in the U.S. known as the horror or horror of Dracula. And he uses this Dracula in the orchestra. Dun, 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 based on Dracula. So I thought House of the Gorgon, and I used that for it. You get a rhythm that you can use, and you also have a little fragment of melody that you can develop. <clears throat> so it's a really, really nice uh, technique. And so I was trying to emulate James Bernard in the main thing. Well, I think you did an excellent job with it, and that, that's why I had you start oh, after thanks. the house of the Gorgon, because you had to have the house, the Gorgon. You know, I couldn't... couldn't uh, the we, Gorgon. Yeah, we yeah. couldn't be talking over and the that. Intro, but the intro, the intro you displayed was just the way to get to that. Because uh, I think when after Josh edited it one or once or twice, he had put in uh, a little bit more in the beginning, so I needed to have this eight-part intro before we got in onto the actual title. And for anybody that's interested in, in Reber's music, it's available, you know, for, for purchase. Um, where, where at Reber? Um, you can get to it at reberclark.bandcamp.com. This is the recorded stuff. Uh, had a lot of print stuff too, uh, or you can go to reberclark.com and there are examples and links and stuff you can listen to uh, uh, there. And I have um, hard copies still, hard copy CDs of House of the Gorgon. Uh, if anybody uh, wants one of those, they were they sold pretty quickly right after the movie came out, but I still got a few sitting here. <laughs> so if anybody wants them, go to reberclark.bandcamp.com and. Uh, Place an order. It'd be great. Yep, that's what it's Make an excellent Christmas gift. <laughs> yes, because Christmas is just around the corner. <laughs> and when we're recording that's this, right. it's it's November thirtieth, uh, two thousand nineteen. So it's 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 coming soon. Right. 
And uh, I don't usually make CDs of my stuff. Most of it's just downloads. But if you do buy a CD, uh, I have two. One is called The Haunter of the Dark, which is an H.P. Lovecraft story, and that was produced by the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society as a <clears throat> as a radio play, and I did music for it. So I've got a soundtrack CD for that because I thought it turned out really well, and one for House of the Gorgon. And if you do buy a CD, you get free downloads of the music as well as the hard copy CD. Anyway, yeah. So you get both. And I, bl- I think you sent yep. me a, cop- a, a clip of Haunter. I may have. Yeah. So let's let's play a little bit of that so people get an idea what it sounds like. Okay. Is there anything you want to say about this at all, Reber? Uh, actually, I didn't actually hear it, but I think it's the uh, the window scene where there's a reveal of this uh, church across town after this guy opens his window. And I think that's the one I sent you. And uh, I thought it came off pretty well. Um, you know, everything's an experiment, and I thought this one came off pretty good. Uh, it's nice and spooky. It's not like um, House of the Gorgon. It's not a period piece. It's more of a contemporary uh, approach. But I thought it was spooky. I thought it worked. A lot of people seemed to like it, so I was happy on that. <laughs> well, I agree. It definitely sets the atmosphere and, and with the, on the spooky part. And um, yeah, and sometimes for me, atmosphere, I mean, the, the big themes and chases and stuff like that uh, and dramatic stuff, is, is a little, is, I, I seem to be able to do that, but the atmospheric stuff, that's a real art, and uh, I struggle with it sometimes, so I thought this one really came off okay i think so too it was my first time hearing it was when i was putting it on the board and i was so i had no idea context wise what it went with but i had suspicions that it was what it could be you know like um again something foreboding going on yeah it kind of reminded me a little bit of uh like a gothic type horror thing with the music in the background and or not the back right. music there, getting in that mood. Like, this is not going to go the well. The scene is in, uh, it's in an apartment in Providence, Rhode Island, and this guy is uh, trying to find his uh, uh, his mentor, who is a writer, uh, who has recently died in a fire. Anyway, he's in this guy's apartment, and he opens the window and opens the curtains in the window and sees this dark church across town that figures in the story. And, uh, yeah, it's supposed to be kind of a mysterious mysterious idea yeah now um for the listeners we're going to be moving into the, the rest of the podcast for music that um reber enjoyed watching in different films which one do you want me to go with for you now because you, you you have a like what about 10 11 i think we have different ones to pick from you have a lot of gold you have goldsmith a lot of herman williams well yeah bernard herman is my guy He's, man, he's the best. I found him, I think, in high school. Bought everything of his I could. Uh, his approach was really psychological, not really, you know, overt. Um, did, and he did a lot of fantasy films, fantasy films. Uh, 
seventh floor just I mean uh, yeah seventh floor just Sinbad and of course he did a lot of Hitchcock stuff he did Psycho and Vertigo and <clears throat> but he, he also did uh, I think Gulliver's Travels which is a George Powell animation movie uh, stop motion animation um, he did Fahrenheit 451 he did Journey to the Center of the Earth a good one with James Mason that's the only one I swear by and uh, <laughs> he did uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still and just a ton of fantasy movies as well as serious dramas and yeah he's I really like his stuff I don't know what I sent you um, from him well, one of the ones you sent Maybe me is, is one of my favorite. You sent you sent um, four things. You sent the Seven Voyages of Sinbad, Vertigo, Fahrenheit yeah. Four Fifty One, and, and Journey Center. Um, Boy, any of those, <laughs> any of those. I think the Journey to the Center of the Earth is the Tartarus reveal where they see the mountain in Iceland that they're going to descend to the center of the Earth. Uh, well, let's do the Seven Voyages of Sinbad first, and then we'll go to Journey. Okay. Because I love Seven Voyages of Sinbad. It's one of my favorite films of all time. Oh, yeah. Me too. So, Reber, what made you, what drew you yeah. to this, Seven Voyages Sinbad? What made me what? What made you like this score so much? Ah, man, it just immediately took me to a fantasy Baghdad type place. You know, what was I? It was in the 70s. I didn't know anything about Iran, Iraq, or any of that stuff. Uh, and I really didn't know the Sinbad story at that time. You know, I'd seen the Popeye animations of uh, Bluto being Sinbad, I think is what it was. But <laughs> And I never, had, at that point, had not read the Tales of the Arabian Nights or anything. So I don't know. It just gives me the exoticness. It gives me the, the vitality and the uh, heroic, excuse me, heroic uh, idea. Just really loved it. And when I saw the movie, I just, I just loved it. Uh, later, when I started kind of studying Carmen's writing, he was a real advocate of writing these little snippets that could be repeated at different uh, pitches over and over. So like that, dun, 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 but tell you, tell you, dun, and he takes it down a little bit, dun, 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 but tell you, tell you, dun, and he keeps doing that. And he was a real um, advocate for using that as a scoring technique because you can do so many things with it. You can uh, do transitions, you can just do all sorts of things with those little fragments, and they don't get in the way of the... Uh, the action so much as maybe a really long grand melody would. Oh. Uh, there's some really beautiful things in Sinbad too. There's some of his lyric melodies are just just incredibly beautiful. So, yeah, I really like it. Oh, I agree with you. It's it's, it's one of those once you hear your 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 adrenaline is starting to get pumping. You know, you know you're, oh, yeah. you know you're in for a fun ride. It's action. It's exoticness. It's uh, beauty. There's just all kinds of things. Yeah. And now we're going to listen to a little bit of Journey to the Center of the Earth. Oh, yeah.
Sir Reber, what's happening in the movie at this point? Do you remember? I believe at this point there's a party from uh, that is uh, James Mason's party, who is Professor Challenger. Got that right? <clears throat> um, are encountering the mountain Scartaris, which <clears throat> Arnie Sachsen's, uh writings have told them that's where, on a certain day of the year, the sun will shine on the entrance to how uh, uh, to go to the center of the earth as a cave or an entrance. And so I think they're approaching the mountain Scartaris at the, on the day. And so I love the music because it's icy, because they're in Iceland. <laughs> it's, uh, it's kind of bleak, but kind of heroic at the same time. And, uh, excuse me. And you can hear again his use of those sort of fragments. Da 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 da. And then they do it again. So, yeah. And this is the reveal right here. That's when the sun hits this place, I believe, or the sun rises, one or the other. And it's just really pretty, really glorious. It's a big reveal, yeah. Yeah, one day, um, yep. depending on how the dice roll goes, we're going to probably review Journey to Descent in the Air. If I know um, Ben enjoys the film a lot, I think Mikhail's seen it too, so I think all three of us have enjoyed it in the past, and uh, it's just mm -hmm. such a great adventure film. Oh, man, it really is. And James You know, some of, the effects are, uh, some of the effects are dated, and they, you know, whatever, but I don't care. <laughs> I just, it just really always gives you that feeling of heroic exploration, which is just a great thing, which is what we should be doing, I think, as a species. <laughs> oh, I agree. I agree. And um, speaking of utilizing um, a theme that everybody's recognizing, I want to switch this to John Williams. Oh, yeah. And you have Raiders of the Lost Ark which I think anybody yeah. that's, that's seen it's going to know exactly what we're playing. Yep. When you hear that, you just know there's action is coming. Oh, yeah. So, again, what drew you to um, John Williams' Raiders of the Lost Ark? What What about it? What What, what made you like the, the Raiders of the Lost Ark soundtrack? Oh, I don't know, man. You know, I grew up in uh, playing band music in the concert band in, in uh, high school and college. And uh, it's got it's got the marching brass and the percussion, and it's glorious and it's beautiful, and we're all charging ahead. And, and I don't know. It's just uh, really thrilling, you know. Uh, I just love what he did. I can't get enough of it, and I want more. <laughs> Uh, it's really great stuff. And that, again, like Bernard Herrmann, his uh, lyric melodies, like when he does Marion's theme, uh, really beautiful stuff. Oh, exactly. So I always, I always thought John Williams' heart was in the right place. And uh, that's, I think that's the main reason I enjoy his stuff. It's not, 
I mean, it could be classified as commercial maybe, but it doesn't come off like he thinks it's commercial. It comes off as a heartfelt uh, expression, and I like that. Oh, I agree with you. It's it's it. He it, it does such an excellent job. You know, it's just hard. To, <laughs> it's hard to critique John Williams. I know when I'm, I was looking at this, trying to think, oh, which one do I want to talk about? John Williams. I mean, you have Superman, you have Jurassic Park, you have tons of them. Star Wars. Oh, you can just go and go and go. You know, on John Williams, he's just done so much great stuff. But one that most people don't talk about. And this is this shocked me to no end, and I was so happy you had it on here. Was when John Williams did the soundtrack or the score to the Cowboys, the John Wayne film. Oh yeah, and unfortunately, the soundtrack that's available out there is a very bad edit of of it. That the left and the right channels are reversed. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but for some reason, the strings are on the strings are on the left and the brass and stuff other strings are on the on the right no the other way around the strings are on the strings are on the right and so i looked it up i thought this is weird did he set up the orchestra backwards but no it's a well-known uh <clears throat> edit editing blunder so i went through it on my soundtrack and reversed the track or <laughs> reversed the left and right for each individual track and it sounds much better but the best recording I've heard of the, the theme from the Cowboys is on an album called By Request with John Williams and the Boston Symphony. Or maybe it might be Boston Pops. And uh, that's the best recording I've heard of the Cowboys Overture. But yeah, that's exciting. It's an exciting one and a great movie. It is a great movie. And you give people an idea of what it sounds like, it sounds like this. And this is back, he wasn't going by John Williams then, he was going by Johnny Williams? No, he was John Williams at this point. He was? Johnny okay. Williams was when he was doing uh, Wagon Train and stuff like that. Okay. But, but this is like, if I remember, this is early, this is before Star Wars, this is before everything, this is like one of his... Yeah. He had done, the, the first time I'd heard him, he did the Reavers. I don't know if you know that one with, uh, with Steve McQueen. No, I haven't seen that and one. I, oh man, that's that's where I first went. Who? who what? <laughs> what is this music? Yeah, I must have been in high school, and it was uh, John Williams, uh, the Reavers, R E I or R I E V E R S. Really a great movie. Hard to find in the soundtrack. I think you can find it on YouTube. Um, but uh, he did another western that was a really a weird one called The Missouri Breaks. Are you familiar with that movie? No, I'm not. That's that's one of the beauty of this it's, podcast. It's so many movies we've not seen. <laughs> right. It's Jack Nicholson and Marlon Brando. And it's a strange pairing, and man, is it a strange movie. And John Williams' music uses like bass harmonica and harpsichord and a lot of weird Western sounds. 
it's really nothing like the Cowboys, <laughs> but I love it. I think it's been, I was projectionist when I was working in, when I was in college. I also was a projectionist at the local movie house, and uh, I showed this movie over and over, and yeah, it's really, really a weird one, but I like it. <laughs> well, that's that's the beauty of movies, is that, and, and everybody has different favorites and things like that, and that's why I, that's why I always try to avoid saying this is the best of something. I could say what to me is the best, but I think right. it's terrible when people try to say this is the best horror film. This is the yeah, best. Yeah, and you film. never know what's coming up next, right? You never know what's going to be next, so that could be the best. So it, you never know. Exactly. Yeah. By the way, I what? don't know. Sometimes people need uh, need anchors. I guess they need something to hold on to, and. Uh, you know, so they declare something the best, and then they feel secure. I'd rather see it when it's secure and still exploring. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, exactly. That's why, like, when Derek and I have done those um, polls on the Monster Kid Radio podcast, I've always picked, I always like to do the favorites because it's best list. I, I just don't like them. <laughs> right. But yep. one of the things I noticed with the Cowboys soundtrack, I don't know if you picked this up. I don't know if my I don't know if my dog's barking's picking in. Somebody's come. To, yeah, I heard him. Uh, people are coming into the house, so my little dog is barking. Early warning system. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. But in in the Cowboys, there's a part that to me it sounds like an early version of the Smallville soundtrack of Superman. Oh sure, yeah, could be. I also hear echoes of that in Superman when he's in the wheat field and the camera. Pull, I mean, is on a crane and it pulls up to reveal the, the, the expanse of the Midwest where he was growing up. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a thing he does, and he does really well. Because yeah, I remember when I was watching the Cowboys, I was like, "Wait a minute, that's that's from Superman," which is one of the, which is one of my all. I mean, if I had to pick a favorite, like you know, if somebody put a gun to my head, I usually always pick Superman because I was nine, ten years old when it came out. It just hit me at the right time. But the soundtrack is just oh, the awesome movie? on that. Or oh, the, the soundtrack. Movie. The movie, both. Oh, okay. Oh, the soundtrack yeah, I like, is Yeah, I really like uh, the Krypton music from that. <clears throat> they use it again in the, uh, he uses it again in uh, the uh, Fortress of Solitude uh, at, uh, at the pole, at the North Pole, wherever he is. Uh, but it's the da 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 that that's uh, really a great thing, and I think they for he first uses it when the bones of Krypton are revealed in the beginning. Yeah, really love it. And yet another movie where in the um, opening credits they have the title of the movie and the music. You know, because like you have House of the yeah. Oregon and yours, but you can tell it's Superman. You know, it's like dun dun dun. Right, right, <laughs> that's right. Well, it's. You know, I was kind of stuck for a theme. What am I going to do with House of the Gorgon? And then I thought, oh, let's do what James Bernard did and just take the rhythm of the syllables. Da, 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 da. And then you've almost got an automatic. Uh, you've got the rhythm, which is a, you know, that's the first element of music. Da, 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 da. And then you just have to assign notes to it. So, you know, singing in the shower, House of the Gorgon. Oh, yeah, that's it. You know, and then you just. You can take that little fragment, and there's things called projections where you do it backwards and you do it upside down, which means the intervals 
the spaces in between the notes reverse, and then you can do it backwards and upside down. And sometimes one of those little projections will work, and you can play with it. And yeah, so it's really uh, it's kind of a secret weapon. Oh, I agree. I agree. When you get that theme, yeah. and then you can just toy around with it, and, and yeah. And then when people are watching, like the Raiders sequels or the Star Wars sequels or whatever, everybody has that little theme, so you know right off the bat who's coming or what's going on. I mean, yeah, it makes it makes yeah, it and that's the, you know those other little fragments, the light motif, uh, where each character has his own little little uh, fragment of a theme. Yeah, it kind of telegraphs what's coming. And I, I think Wagner was a big proponent proponent of that way back. I don't know if he invented it, but he was close to close enough to having it invented. But why not? He uses an opera a lot. You would you would know better than I about music history. <laughs> well, I'm not real strong on music history, but uh, not like some guys. But I think Wagner and Leitmotifs kind of go together. L e i t. Now, <coughs> oh, excuse me. I made, I made it through most of this without having to cough. <laughs> there's other, there's other um, scores you have shared here. You have um, corn gold with the uh, Seahawks. Oh yeah, Newton Howard with Hill um, Hidalgo. Shore yeah, with Lord of the Rings. Yep, a uh, lot of that I really like. Again, Goldsmith. We have you have the Omen, the Wind, and the Lion, and yeah, Blue Max, and is it Jari or Jar? Jari, the man. Uh, what is it? Jari, J A R. Oh, Maurice Jare, J R J A R R E. I think it's pronounced Jare. I don't really know. Jare, the but man, yeah, the man who would, who would be, be, king. be king. Which of those do you want? The Rudyard Kipling story. Yeah, well, I think wow. we'll do, I figure we'll do two more, and then let you pick the. Those are the other ones. Let's do uh, Blue Max, then Wind and the Lion. Okay, Blue Max. Okay, just got a... Yep, there we go. So, Reber, if you want to talk through this and tell us what's, you know, as a composer, well, what are you looking at? What are you listening at? Oh, man, I'm just listening to the, it's about flying. The whole movie's about flying. And it's, uh, interestingly, it's about a group of German flyers in World War II, starring George Lafarge. And the Blue Max is a, uh, a medal that's awarded, I think, by the Germans at that time for some kind of valor anyway it's kind of like it's a movie about values and where uh you know maybe metals aren't really the best thing in the world sometimes and jerry goldsmith just captured this flying uh idea and the heroism just captured it so well uh it could apply to uh just a number of things but i just thought it was very uh 
the movie itself is a good statement on heroism versus heart and um, or heroism and heart and what it means outside of politics and uh, just thought he did a great job so it's just it's all about going up in the air and flying and fantastic yeah, this and that's is, where the values are not down on the not down on the ground with the politics exactly and this is another movie I've not seen and that's what I loved about it. I was looking at your the, the soundtrack you sent me I was like oh these are films I'm gonna add to my list I think I think everybody has that that ever-growing queue of movies that oh, never sure. that'll never end because I think there's probably I don't know what 10 million movies out there at least and there's no way in the, there's no <laughs> way in the world you could see yeah. them all <laughs> like my book list you know, it's just I've got stacks of books by my bed, and I've got this long list. And man, the movies too. It's just, will I ever get to the end of it? I hope not. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah. It's so a- I really, really liked the music uh, that he was doing. Jerry Goldsmith was doing at that time. Really great stuff. Big epic, uh, big epic statements, but also with heart and uh, yeah, good ideas. And the last one we were going to share is you said The Wind and the Lion? The Wind and the Lion. Sean Connery as a uh, Bedouin. And uh, Brian Keith as Teddy Roosevelt and Candace Bergen as... Actually, in real, it's a story, uh, supposedly based on a true story. Candace Bergen plays a, a woman that is kidnapped by Sean Connery's character. But in real life, the person that she is supposed to be portraying is was a male ambassador of some kind. So it's a, they, they took some liberties. And it's directed by John Milius, who did Conan, which is not one of my favorite movies. Uh, I love the Conan stories, but I didn't think. Anyway, we'll talk about that another day. <laughs> but uh, uh, the music is for Women and the Lion is just gloriously fantastic. I do like, I do like the Conan soundtrack a lot. Um, yeah, that that's very good. But the the, the movie, it's it's it, to me, it's not a Conan movie. It's more of an action movie or sword and sandals movie. It's, they never get the hair right. I, if it's a Dino De Laurentiis production, it's too a little too romantic, really. Actually, the swords have too much filigree on them. It's just like, come on, man! This is not a retread of a Hercules movie from the sixties. It's it's Conan is different. So. They're getting closer, but in my opinion, there hasn't been a good Conan movie yet. Well, I'm a real stickler for Robert E. Howard. You know, I I know what Conan looks like. Conan looks like Frank Frazetta's Conan painting. Uh, so, anyway, <laughs> well, there's, there's always one day. But let's let's listen to a little yeah. bit of the the wind and the light. All right. So what's going on during this part of the movie? Do you know, Bieber? Do you remember? I think this is just the this is just the title. Oh, the title? Okay. Yeah, I think it's the title. And uh, 
What I love about Goldsmith stuff is he gets these horn players with hearts of steel, the French horn players, and they can just, they are just so heroic sounding. It's just amazing. Uh, John Williams does that too, but uh, I really associate it with Goldsmith more. Yes, <clears throat> uh, these guys are courageous. They, they don't crack notes. They play like, wow, just fantastic stuff. And then when you back it up, <clears throat> with a line saying backing up with the movie, I know the music is backing up the movie, but <laughs> uh, the movie's just so so great and epic and expansive that uh, the music just works so well with it. And then there's a, of course, uh, two or three human stories going on at the same time. I think uh, Christopher Plummer plays Rudyard Kipling in it. No, no, I'm confusing. That's right. Never mind. I'm confusing the man who would be king with uh, women and lion. <laughs> so anyway, both of them. Man, the man who would be king is a John, directed by John Huston, and uh, yeah, and this one, uh, Women the Lion, both worth taking a look at. Absolutely. Oh, exactly. I, I, I know about the the man who would be king. When and I kept thinking when oh. when you and I were talking, you kept saying the wind and the lion. I kept thinking. Um, did you mean the oh, what was the movie I was getting mixed up with the um, the one with Peter O'Toole and Catherine Hedburn? Oh, the Lion in Winter. Yeah, the Lion in Winter. So I thought you were talking about the Lion in Winter because I'd never heard of the the Wind and the Lion. So I'm thinking, oh, is he talking about this right. one? You know. <laughs> and then you explain. No, it. And and that's like, a good one though. I like the Lion in Winter. I could not. I think is that Alex North? Did he do the score to that? I'm not really sure. But uh, uh, yeah, I like the movie. It's a good uh, examination of men and women, and not just kings and queens. <clears throat> yeah, it's fun. And I'm a big Peter O'Toole and Catherine Hedberg fan. To me, Catherine Hedberg oh, is me the too. best actress. I love both of them. You know the author Lord Dunsany? No. It was one of the influences on H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, Peter O'Toole did a movie on a Lord Dunsany. I thought it was Dunsany, but everybody tells me it's Dunsany. Um, story called uh, Oh, My Talks with Dean Stanley and the name of the movie is Dean Stanley and what? And it's starring Sam Neill and Peter O'Toole's in it it's an obscure, I think it's Australian film and uh, it's about a vicar who when he drinks a certain wine which is called Toke which is uh, I think from Hungary or Turkey, I'm not sure uh, he recalls his past lives as a dog. And it's really a great little movie, So, and it's a good story. So if you happen on it, I'll take a look at it. <laughs> his, his past lives as a dog? <laughs> yeah, his past lives as a, as a Cocker Spaniel. Um, this is the, the local priest, the local vicar. Oh, cool. And Peter O'Toole plays, uh, I don't know what he plays, I think it was close to his last movie. So Sam Neill plays the vicar. I don't remember how Peter O'Toole figures into it, but uh, yeah, he's in there. Cool. Um, yeah, good stuff. Well, Catherine Hepburn, anything she does, I'm there. I mean, I think she's beautiful. I think she's smart. Man, I was just watching her in uh, Bringing Up Baby the other day. It was on some channel here, and it was like, man. What a wonderful person. 
Yeah, I believe that's also with like Cary Grant. Yeah, right. It's the one about the the panther or whatever it is. <laughs> yes, yes. It, it, uh, I, I remember yeah. seeing it. It's been um, a few years. Since oh, you I've haven't seen it. Seen it. Oh, no, man, no, 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 no. I have seen it. It's been a few years since I've seen oh. it. Oh, for years. Okay, good. Because it's a it's a funny one, and it's it's just hilariously screwball. <clears throat> yeah, very enjoyable. Oh yeah. Oh man, I like her in everything. African Queen. I mean, I could go on and on. So. Well, the beauty of it is, we can always have you come in and do a guest review of us on some of these. Sure, man. I'll talk movies with anybody anytime, all day long. <laughs> That, that's the fun part. Of course, if we have you do it, we're going to literally be rolling the die. So you have to, so you'll be like having a, a pick from a certain genre. Right. But it sounds like I don't That'd think that'll be an issue for you at all. <laughs> I don't know. I have lots of weak spots, so we'll see. <laughs> well, the genres are pretty. I mean, it's action. It, it's 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 sci-fi slash fantasy, drama, right. uh, comedy, um, animation, right. horror. Uh, right. There's one more. I can't. There's one more. And then when we have a guest do it, we have a one called the wild card, but we take the wild card away and slash it and put in foreign slash documentary to um, force the. Oh, interesting. That way. But foreign opens up so many different things also. I mean, you can literally pick a hammer film and say, oh, it's foreign. Well, yeah. There are are quite a few uh, foreign films that I like. Uh, Yeah, you could say Fiend Without a Face is a horror film. I mean, it's a, uh, sorry, foreign film. Yeah, made in England. One of my favorites. And that's the beauty of it all. It's like uh, we're virtually endless, you know, and, and right. with different things we can pick. And we're trying to pick stuff from all over the place, you know. So we don't we don't right. limit ourselves with anything from silent movies out to what's currently in the theater. I don't know when you're going to air this, but uh, or release this, but there's a great uh, Christmas movie called Rare Export from Finland. Yes, I've seen I don't that know if one. You're familiar. I've seen it. <laughs> that one and Troll Hunter is a uh, not the Guillermo del Toro series, but the live action Troll yes. Hunter. Also yes. really good. <laughs> and that was one with a limited budget in right. to Hollywood standards, but the special the CGI was was good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah, they did a good job on both of those. Yeah, I, I can definitely tell you if anybody, the Rare Exports and Troll Hunter, it, it, I recommend both. They're very Always keep good that films. gingerbread in your pocket, man. <laughs> keep the gingerbread in your pocket. And you're going to be screwed. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. <laughs> well, Reaper, I hope you enjoyed going over these different film scores and, and um, ways, you know, trying to pick your brain as a composer. I hope you like that part. Yeah, I like the whole thing. This has been very enjoyable. Thanks for asking me to do it. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for taking the time out to do it. And again, for anybody that wants to um, check out your uh, scores, they can go to where again? You can go to reberclark.bandcamp.com, and you can listen to everything for free. And if you decide to buy something, that would be great. Well, that's a, that's even better yet. So that way it's, it's not like buying blind your your actually being able to hear it first yeah. and, and, and go and, and it's get not it. excerpts. You can listen to the entire track, uh, all of the tracks. <clears throat> uh, or you can just go to Reber, Reber Clark, excuse me, you can just go to ReberClark.com and that's got everything there. It's got links to all the recorded music, links to my print publisher, 
and some video links and how to commission a piece and all this other junk. So it's kind of a clearinghouse for uh, any of my business that I do. Well, thanks again for taking time out. And um, I, will, I enjoyed it. I will contact you about getting together as a uh, guest host. And I think the best way to take us out would be the man who would be king. Oh, yeah. That's a great one. I did want to mention that Josh Kennedy is Oops. working on something to reunite the Gorgon cast. Oh, he is. Oh, what else? Yeah, that's, I almost forgot. What comp, what projects do you have coming up? Oh, me? Uh, let's see. I'm working on something for a guy. I don't know. I don't know where he is. New York or something called Atomopolis, which is a, a short. Um, kind of a science fiction green screen epic right now. Um, and then Josh Kennedy and I are doing, uh, I'm doing music for Cowgirls versus Pterodactyls. We're waiting on the animation, uh, the uh, stop, stop motion pterodactyls right now. And we're also doing one called Saturnalia, which is about a female superhero starring Danny Thompson, who's a British actress. But he's also got a project that I'm not supposed to say a lot about, but it reunites the cast of House of the Gorgon, which is a lot of uh, Hammer uh, actors and actresses. And even some more Hammer actresses and actors have been added to that cast. Uh, so that's exciting. That might take place next year. We're trying to work out the logistics right now. So, yeah, that's what's, uh, <clears throat> that's what's happening movie-wise. Well, that would be exciting. I know anybody that enjoyed The House of the Gorgon, which I did, um, would love to see a reuniting of that cast and then expanding on it. Oh, um, Yeah, sorry. he's adding more. Uh, he, he's, as I understand it, he's adding more of the, uh, you know, from the old Hammer films, he's adding more of the actors that are still, still with us. So it should be fun. Uh, all we can say is Joshua Kennedy's living the dream right now. <laughs> he is. He is. And what a guy. Boundless energy. Uh, it, it, what can you say? Well, when you're young, you got to go for it while you can, and you know and that kind well, of stuff. Well, I was thinking, what is he? Twenty five, and when I was twenty five, I was like, oh, what am I going to do with my life? And he's already got like fifteen movies <laughs> that he's done or something. So, wow, and a yeah, life and a lifetime amazing. achievement award. You know, when he was twenty three, yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's not even thirty yet. You know, it's amazing. <clears throat> that was funny. Mm-hmm. All right. So we're going to listen to The Man Who Would Be King. And again, thanks a lot, Reber, for joining me. Yep, I had a great time. Thanks for asking me. 